Welcome to Crossing Borders, a podcast for Baker McKenzie and Asia Today International looking at business and trade issues across Asia. I'm Leon Gettler and today is episode one in our monthly series and today's date is Monday, March the 20th. And today we're going to look at the issue of insolvency across the Asia region and it's a huge issue. It also coincides with Insol 2017, the 10th World Congress of Insolvency Practitioners, which kicked off in Sydney on Sunday, which is still going this week. In our podcast, we're going to talk to Baker McKenzie partner Maria O'Brien in Sydney, John Batchelor, the Senior Managing Director of FTI Consulting in Hong Kong, and Miles Grant at the legal division of ANZ Lending Services in Sydney. And they'll provide some insights on what is a really complex issue. Now, Asia is a special case with insolvency. There are different laws in every jurisdiction. You have lots of cross-border businesses run by offshore companies. The result, differences in treatment of creditors, difference in approaches towards debt restructuring, appointment of insolvency practitioners in multiple jurisdictions. This is really complex stuff. So let's hear what our experts have to say. And let's start with John Batchelor. Uh, John Batchelor, uh, why have insolvency regimes become such an important issue in Asia? Well, I, I'm, I'm not sure that it's um, that it's a, a, a sort of a recent issue. Uh, the importance of insolvency regimes. I think it's been an issue for a pretty long time, particularly since the uh, the Asian financial crisis. However, clearly, as investors and lenders get more sophisticated, there is more attention being given to to how they structure their lending to companies with with multi jurisdictional operations. And clearly, some jurisdictions have developed insolvency regimes that have a long history of recognising creditors' rights, including foreign credit and other jurisdictions, and it may be more difficult for creditors to enforce uh, and get access to, to the assets. What is true to say, though, is that more recently, a number of jurisdictions are looking to reform their insolvency regimes. So uh, reforms to national and regional insolvency regimes are being considered or implemented in many parts of the world. What are you seeing in Asia? Well, I mean, if you, if you look sort of more broadly across uh, Australia as well, I mean, starting with Australia, obviously, there's, there's some changes to the insolvency laws where we're going to see the creditors have a little bit more power around the appointment of administrators and a little bit more influence in the, in the way the administrations are run and, and, and I guess their ability to, to access books and records associated with those administrations. And they're also talking about uh, safe harbours for directors and you know, safe harbours for directors from personal liability and um, some other things to, to protect directors that are of companies that are going through uh, re- some sort of restructuring. Interestingly, um, Singapore is taking a bit more of a, a, a lead role in, in, in Asia and particularly focusing on a bit more of a sort of rehabilitation approach, which is you know, f- clearly focused on trying to make Singapore as a real restructuring hub uh, in Asia. And, and, and that was a lot of that legislation was passed through the Singapore parliament this week. And then um, in Hong Kong, we're seeing a few steps being taken with regard to uh, sort of more creditor protection and companies having to take accurate, more accurate valuations when they're um, disposing of, of uh, assets. And then finally, in India, I think there's some very important developments there, which we think are quite exciting with regard to corporate insolvency regime or, or a bankruptcy code, um, which will allow creditors to take action against insolvent companies uh, a lot more quickly um, than they had been able to do historically. So there's some pretty significant advances going on in India as well. Now, the, the uh, big question is about cross-border ownership. It's quite common in, in Asia. I mean, how are distressed companies managing when there's cross-border ownership? Well, it's really for the, the practitioners that, that they really need to deal with it. And I, th- I think there's a couple of ways you can deal with it. I mean, I guess if the, if you're looking at a sort of an insolvency event at the top co of an entity that has a number of different subsidiaries, and then you'll, uh, you can use the uh, shareholding that that top co will have in the subsidiaries to work your way through the group and, and take control of the various different entities across the various different jurisdictions. So you need to deal with the sort of company's law in those various jur- jurisdictions to change the boards of those entities. But that is 
is one way um, that a pr- practitioner can get control across across various different jurisdictions. I guess the second option, um, which is becoming more more uh, common is if you've got an individual company with assets across multiple jurisdictions, then uh, you might find that the practitioner would go and seek recognition in a, in a foreign court. And we've seen a lot of that with uh, with Asian and, and offshore jurisdiction uh, insolvency processes where they've People have gone and got Chapter 15 recognition in the US, and that's and that's quite common. I guess the third option is in some in some cases you will need to commence uh, further winding up pre- uh, proceedings or court proceedings in those local jurisdictions uh, to try and get control of the assets and and um, and utilise those so that they can they can be best used for the benefit of creditors. Finally, what challenges do offshore holding companies present when you're restructuring distressed entities? Look, we've got we've got pretty uh, strong teams in both Cayman and BVI, so we do a lot of matter, a lot of work on matters involving. The offshore jurisdictions, and in our experience, the offshore juris- jurisdictions are pretty user friendly. Um, and there's a there's a there's a long history of the of uh, of Hong Kong and Singapore and entities uh, restructuring corporate groups that have got offshore entities uh, within them, and and it is becoming you know more and more common. And, and for that reason, I think we're seeing a lot more of the offshore law firms here in Hong Kong. So, I mean, I think obviously one of the challenges is clearly you need to have a local practitioner on the ground. Um, who's experienced in the in those offshore jurisdictions, uh, as well as having people where the assets are, such as such as Hong Kong, Singapore, and, and China. But and there is you know there's additional work with regard to you know filing the relevant scheme documents across the various different jurisdictions and requiring multiple court hearings and and creditors meetings to approve the schemes. But but everyone is is pretty used to that these days. And in our experience, you know the offshore jurisdictions deal with with restructurings of, of large corporate groups very well. John Bachelor, that's really, really informative. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. And now, Maria O'Brien. Maria, a lot of Asian businesses use offshore structures. I mean, how does uh, Baker McKenzie deal with the insolvency of a cross-border group? How does it all work? We definitely call on the assistance of our uh, various overseas brethren uh, because it's not simple and it's not straightforward because as you would know insolvency laws are different in every country and even attempts to standardize insolvency laws that have been taking place over the last 20 or so years haven't had the effect of standardizing laws per se they've had the effect of um, at least to a limited extent recognizing insolvencies in one country in another country but certainly not standardizing the application of insolvency laws so it remains a complicated beast to deal with a cross-border insolvency. There are some trends, though, that we've seen certainly over the last 10 years. That's been, I suspect, driven very much by lenders uh, to struggling or distressed entities and in particular to lenders pursuing loan-to-own strategies in respect of distressed debtors. But we've seen a flight in particular to the restructuring techniques offered in um, the United States by Chapter 11 and in the UK by Schemes of Arrangement to single out perhaps um, two of the most prominent tools. And to some extent, the dominance of those jurisdictions, and in particular the US, has meant that there's uh, quite a degree of practical efficacy associated with undertaking certainly restructuring and uh, formal insolvency in those jurisdictions, possibly with recognition in appropriate other countries where a distressed uh, business is doing business. Now, a number of Asian jurisdictions are now updating their insolvency laws. You've got places like India that are doing it to chase more capital. Uh, Singapore is doing it to become the region's insolvency hub. I mean, how do you see this developing? 
it's so fascinating what's happening in the region um, because those jurisdictions have had the opportunity of seeing what has worked and and what has not worked in other jurisdictions. And so we're seeing some really ambitious attempts to create new insolvency regimes, taking the best of the existing systems. And as you point out, India and Singapore are probably the two most ambitious of those uh, Asian jurisdictions seeking to modernise their laws. They're certainly two to look at. And as you point out, India's is interesting because it is seeking to, I guess, promote India as a as a um, destination for foreign capital by giving greater certainty in India to insolvency outcomes. And to that extent, their new system implemented in December of last year is incredibly ambitious. And Singapore's motive is slightly different. Singapore characteristically has seen an opportunity to, I think, try and steal some of the thunder of the UK and the US uh, in terms of being a jurisdiction of choice to undertake restructuring and insolvency. And so they are very ambitiously and aggressively pursuing attracting regional restructuring and insolvency work into Singapore and they're certainly taking active rapid steps to um, to affect that. So those are two jurisdictions but certainly there are amendments we're seeing elsewhere including in Hong Kong and I think we will continue to see uh, and Malaysia uh, continue to see the regional restructuring and insolvency laws be the focus of legislative attention. And final question, I mean, how do you develop a universalist approach to cross-border insolvency? Well, I think the short answer on that is you don't actually develop a universalist approach to cross-border insolvency. You develop what's called a modified universalist, universalist approach. The reason being there's not ever going to be one set of insolvency laws that applies across countries. And, and the simple reason for that really is there's too many other features of a country's laws that feed into insolvency law for a sort of modest reform to have that effect. For example, the law relating to property feeds into security issues. The law relating to corporations will feed into insolvency issues. And certainly we can't ever, I think, expect that the whole world is going to have consistent laws across all those areas. So I think a universalist approach per se is probably too much to hope for. And I think the modified universalist approach where to the extent necessary to protect creditors, um, particular national laws remain applicable even though there is an attempt to recognise the insolvency itself cross-border have been relatively successful and I think um, in terms of the ambitions of global insolvency laws, I think that will continue to be the, the approach that we see um, pursued. Maria O'Brien, thank you very much for your time. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Leon. And finally, let's hear from Miles Grant. Miles, uh, the field of insolvency in Asia is really fraught. I mean, you've got uh, cross-border jurisdictions, you've got all sorts of issues. Uh, what, what are the risks for companies? Well, I think the risks are really understanding just what each jurisdiction does provide for insolvencies and just making certain that you really follow all the rules and requirements of each different jurisdiction. Um, Leon, they vary greatly. So you can't assume what happens in one particular country will work in another country. But how does that work with companies that have uh, cross-border ownership? With many different offices and businesses in each of the different countries, you need to coordinate it uh, well between you know the creditors and the company. You need good communications between the company and its creditors. And you've really got to work out a plan to stabilise the business and probably have a compromise in different areas. But look at being very steady and what will work in each of the different jurisdictions. How different are the uh, insolvency rules across different countries in Asia? Oh, Leon, um, uh, 
massively different. Um, there are some that I suppose are more creditor-friendly. There's others that are more sort of company-friendly. There's ones that sort of have rules that could favour, you know, local creditors other than um, overseas creditors. They're, they're very different, very different how uh, the courts apply the rules, um, how the governments look upon the rules and regulate insolvencies. Um, some countries have the regulators taking very firm control over insolvencies and restructures. Um, other countries sort of leave it to uh, the court's commercial sort of processes. So in terms of managing the risks, uh, you, you, the, the company really needs to be just across every rule in every different country and uh, have very good communication. Would that be right? Well, I think that's absolutely one of the key things, Leon. In all of these situations, if there's financial distress, the companies and the creditors look at getting advisors in. I think that can be the key to success. Do you have the right type of advisor, such as a financial advisor or legal advisor? You need ones that are really do understand what happens on the ground and what can and can't be done. I think one of the things is, you know, companies and creditors need good advisors. Often that's accountants, good legal advisors. So we can understand what can and can't be done. There's only certain things that can be accepted by both companies and creditors and I think if the parties approach that with a commercial realism you're more likely to get a a result that suits everyone and that can work for the company. Uh, are there prospects of uh, cultural clashes uh, when you have when you have these sorts of different regimes? Yes, I think there are. There's, I think culture plays a very important part. I mean, obviously, there's there's different approaches in each country. Each country has its own cultural nuances on how they approach these matters. And I think um, you know you need to be very sensitive as to those matters and and work work with them. And uh, they're not sort of barriers, but just matters that need to be taken into account. Miles Grant, thank you very much for your time. Much appreciated. Leon, my pleasure indeed. Now, I found this fascinating. John Batchelor had some really interesting views about the pace of insolvency for reform across the region and some good insights into the handling of offshore entities, which are so common across Asia. Maria O'Brien had fascinating views on how different countries like India and Singapore are now leading the charge to change their insolvency laws to attract more capital and turn themselves into business hubs. And I thought her views about why you can't get a universalist approach to insolvency across the region was fascinating. And Miles Grant was really good at explaining how businesses should handle the risks of managing cross-border insolvencies. For Baker McKenzie and Asia Today International, that's it for us now with our Crossing Borders podcast. We hope you found it helpful. Feel free to share it. We look forward to bringing you the next episode in April.